Welcome to the Expansive CEO Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Chapman, founder of Expansive CEO and X Squared Wealth Planning. Buckle in as we explore how to create true prosperity and build a business and a life that expands beyond yourself and makes a dent in the universe. Welcome everyone to this episode of the Expansive CEO Podcast. Today is a little bit of a different episode. It's special um, because we're going a little bit more personal and we're talking to parents today. And my guest is Valerie Grant. She is a former educator and administrator and she turned to advocacy. So she's a former educator and administrator turned advocate, helping families navigate their child's educational journey. And this is really special to me because I don't talk about this a ton on the podcast, um, but my older two children, I have three children, my older two children are 12 and 10, and they're both on the autism spectrum. And our parenting journey, my and my husband's parenting journey has been um, one of navigating this world of supporting our children in their educational journeys and really having to figure out a lot of things on our own and be very strong advocates for our kids. And so when I met Valerie and she started telling me about what she did, I was like, oh my gosh, you are so needed. You are so needed to help help other parents navigate this, this system, which for all intents and purposes, teachers are trying to help right? They are trying to do the best they can for all of the children they support. And it's, it's a lot. It's just a lot. And so having a, having someone that's there to help you in your corner in the way that Valerie does it is very special. So Valerie, thank you for being here. And I would love for you to tell us about you in your own words. So take it away. Thank you so much for having me today. Um, I, did teach for 15 years. I taught in and Washington. And so I saw different pedagogical models and I worked in inclusion settings and pullout settings. And I had a lot of professional development along the way, everything from learning institutes at Stanford to what the district brought in. And then I was an administrator for three years. And two of those years were specific to being an administrator for special education. And in that time, I saw a whole nother side. I saw advocates. I saw parents who really were struggling to understand what they needed to do next. I saw times when, as you mentioned, teachers were doing the absolute best they could, and we really needed to see what else could be done to support that child. And so navigating those conversations. Um, and then I also really had the benefit of working with phenomenal teachers in that time, working with teachers who wanted to do everything they could for their students who had maybe an IEP or 504, or maybe didn't have a plan, but knew something was going on. And it really inspired me to realize we just needed to collaborate more. Like at the end of the day, there needed to be improved communication between teachers and between teachers and parents so that we could do the best possible outcomes for children. And so that's really why I wanted to step into this new world um, of of just focusing on how to help parents instead of focusing on parents and students and teachers and working with administrators to just focus on how to support parents because um, you know you get a school supply list and it tells you what you need for the year 
or you go to back to school night and it, that you get a little paper and it tells you what you need for the year. And I don't think I ever met a parent who, when their child's journey started in maybe special education or receiving a 504, who came to me and said, well, this is the initial paperwork I received that really guided me on what everything is going to be. And while there's no paper for that, I do think that we can empower parents a little bit more so that they don't feel like you felt of just trying to find everything on your own. I just think, I think we can do better. And so I'd like to be a part of that solution. Mm, yeah. So let's go, let's go there because I, I spent so much time. I really did. Um, especially with my oldest, Clara, she's 12 now. Uh, and she, I, I knew that she was, oh, how do I want to say? Um, I knew that she had, you know, her own uniqueness, even when she was probably two or three. Um, she was extremely, extremely bright. She knew all of the letters of the alphabet when she was like 18 months old and could like point them all out. Um, knew all the capitals of every state. Like we got her a little state map. She knew all the capitals of every and what every state was by the time she was like three and a half. It was like a party trick. Um, <laughs> and she also would take all of her toys and line them up. She wouldn't play with them. She would, she would make little, like all of her horses, all of her, you know, little, um, I can't remember the brand, uh, but like those like hard plastic ones that they're like collectible. She loved them. We would buy them for her all the time. Um, and she, she would lighten them up. I'm like, oh, that's so cute. And I have videos of it that I posted on Facebook. I'm like, look how cute and funny this is. And she didn't really interact, right? And she didn't really talk to us she had what is called echolalia yeah so she would hear she would watch oh gosh we watched um planet earth was one of the things that we watched constantly when she was really really little um and she would like just repeat like paragraphs we'd be like that's really interesting but she would she wouldn't talk about it she would just repeat so that's the echolalia part right we like started to figure this stuff out on our own and for a long time, we thought, okay, we're good. We can support her through this and whatever that is. And when it was when she went into kindergarten, yeah, we tried to put her into a Montessori school and they were like, oh, we do not have the resources to help this child. And I was devastated. It was really, really heartbreaking. Um, she had such a hard experience in her first several weeks there of kindergarten. She had never gone to preschool um, we had tried different things, different activities for her, um, and knew that she, we knew that we knew that she was most likely on the spectrum, but we hadn't gotten a, an official diagnosis for her yet. And so after that experience at the Montessori school, it was like, we need to get her a diagnosis. Um, so we took her to a child psychologist. They confirmed it right away. Um, like, yeah, you're yeah. Like check, check, check. Um, that's what we're looking at here. And from there, we were able to then go into uh, the public school that was close to us at the time that had an autism-specific classroom. And what was interesting and where I want to like pull you into this conversation, especially is that when we first went in, they wanted her to go into the regular classroom for six weeks to observe. And yep. I said, absolutely not. I'm like, we, we can't do that. We just did that. She had a horrible experience. She cannot do that. Here is her, here is her official diagnosis. 
And it was like strong. Like I, that was like mama bear, (laughs) not in a, not in an angry way at all, but just in a, this is not going to go well. And it's going to be detrimental to her. If we put her in that situation, can we please put her into the autism specific classroom from the beginning? Um, And so it really feels like our advocacy journey between me and my husband started from the first moment of school. And what do you notice? So if I hadn't say, let's, let's say we went the other way and I was like, okay, yeah, we'll let her try the six weeks in the regular classroom. Like, is that as an administrator, as a teacher, as someone in that position, like, how would you respond to that now? And how would you like someone like me who was experiencing that? How would you walk that person through something like that? So I think actually what you did is exactly what I would want someone to do. So I think you were able to speak to what had happened to her at the Montessori school. And I think you're leaving out a word that I would say. um, So I'll say it. And if it doesn't feel right, then just say, no, I don't think that's true. I think um, kids can experience some trauma in school. And I think that um, in a program that is too loose without the, especially Montessori for a child with with autism, depending on how their their autism presents. Um, But for most children with autism, having a non-structured program is going to be incredibly challenging, detrimental, really emotionally overwhelming for children who really have trouble expressing their emotions and what's going on in their needs. Um, so I, I can tell you though, as an administrator who used to have students move into the district, I can tell you why they wanted to try the general education class for six weeks. And it's because part of the law under IDEA is least restrictive environment. So you're always trying to have a child in the absolute least restrictive environment, because as you know, as a mom who's had children in school now for several years, there's a lot more to school than academics. And so we also are really thinking about the social interactions and social emotional piece of school. And so some students really benefit from the social part of being in a general education classroom with additional support. But you had just been through that journey of a non-structured setting. And while a general education class is structured, it is not structured in the same way as an autism specific class. And so I think I would have asked you to do the exact same thing, make sure they have the diagnosis, make sure they can see what your outside diagnosis showed and evaluation. And then having a conversation, being very clear of why you want what you want. I think the only thing I've added is, I'm happy to do a six week trial, in the autism specific class and see how that goes. And if she might be able to have some additional time in general education settings, maybe for PE or um, which is already an unstructured activity. So it's expected for a child to know that it's not gonna be the same as I sit in my desk and I do what I need to do. Um, And it's not usually unexpected. They can get some preview of here's what's going to be coming. But I think I would have advised you to do exactly what you did. I think the hard part is you had to navigate that all while navigating the fact that you were just told your child has autism and your journey as a parent is not going to be what you thought it was going to be. So you are dealing with that grief and change of what you thought your journey was going to be. And at the same time, having to advocate strongly for your child. And I think that's a lot that we ask parents to do. Yes, I would agree with all of that. And um, I the word trauma is appropriate. Absolutely. And I think so many of our kids go through some, any, any child who has, you know, a different need from, you know, which honestly, I think that's most children have 
it you know, is. have have it really issues is. sitting still in a classroom. <laughs> Right. What they're, what we're asking them to do from such a young age. I think there's, I think there's a lot of, um, reform, but we're, that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about how to, how to support those kids who are struggling. So it's, um, we know, you know, right. Like as parents, I think we all, we just want our kids to, to be successful, to be happy. I know for me, one of the most important things that I've told my kids over and over again is that kindness, kindness is the most important value that matters to me and, and to the world and to like how you are interacting with others. And that's for, to you and to others, right? So if people are not treating you kindly, you can say so, right? You can, you can stand up for yourself in that way. And at the same time, we don't necessarily have all the structures that we need to, to support those kiddos. I would agree. I would agree. I think, I think that, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, no, please. Um, That was, yeah, that was going to be the question. Keep going. I think that, I think that there's some hard challenges, you know, like when I went through my teacher education program, I taught a long time ago, (laughs) it was in 2000 to 2004. It was, I was in a special education specific program, but I took general education courses as well. And they asked me as a student in a general education course to speak to some different things and to kind of present. I did, and I was happy to, because I'd been teaching while getting my credential. Um, But I remember even then thinking like, that's weird. There there should be somebody who's done this longer, who's able to do this. Um, And I think, you know, the piece that I said, we had a different way of, of talking about like the grief process that parents go through. And I hope you understand, like, I'm not assigning any value to that grief. I'm not assigning, there's no disappointment. There's no, I wish it was different. It's just, it's grief. It's, we all kind of have our own belief of what parenting will be. Um, If you're a Gen Xer like me, you thought it would be perfect because that's all you saw on TV was perfection. And so to realize life is not perfect sometimes is hard. But I think acknowledging that there's grief, that that grief comes up at different times. That was never talked about in any of my programs. It was, you know, you do an IEP this way, you talk to the gen ed teachers this way, you make sure they know the accommodations for the student, moving on. And I think my most successful meetings with parents have been when I've noticed there's emotions happening and we stop the meeting and we talk about it. I think I also gained a lot of knowledge my last couple of years because I was able to work with speech therapists who really taught me a lot about what happens to our brains when we're emotionally overwhelmed and we have that cascade going on in our brain, like our ability to understand language diminishes dramatically. So we're sitting there with all these big words and acronyms and all these things and parents are staring at us and they're not asking questions. So we just keep going. And I think that that's really, really hard. And I think there's other ways to do things. And so I think to your point of kindness and being a good person, I really tried to do that. And as a professional to make sure like, am I being kind to this family? Do they, have the capacity right now to hear everything we're saying, or do we need to take a break? Next time we do this meeting, let's make sure to send them a draft of this ahead of time so they can process their emotions, reach out to someone if they need to, know if they wanna bring someone to the meeting or let us know they'd like a couple things added. Because I think to your point, we are in a community of humans who are all doing the best they can, but I think that we can notice how we can extend more kindness and more compassion because it's a different journey And I think it's even different from for sure when I was in school, but I mean, it changes all the time. When I left educate, when I started an education, IEPs, an individualized education plan that many students qualify for in the United States was literally four to five pages long. 
for just a basic IEP for a student with a specific learning disability. And when I left the classroom, a basic IEP for a student with a specific learning disability was usually anything from 15 to 22 pages. I mean, it's it's a lot for mm-hmm. educators who do it all the time. So I think that's where I come back to how to kindly support parents through this process, because you're right, you said it, you are your child's advocate. You really are. Whether or not you hire an advocate, you are your child's best advocate. So let's talk about that for a minute, because um, you have said this before in some of our previous conversations that, you know, keeping the process really collaborative is super, super important to you. And I can, um, again, from my experience, I can say that same thing that when you almost can feel when like people come in with their dukes up, right? Like this is like our, my son in particular. So Clara is my oldest, she's 12. Um, she's on the autism spectrum. So is my son, Henry, who is 10. They present very differently. Just like you said, like, um, the saying is when, you know, one kid with autism, you know, one kid (laughs) with autism or one person with autism, right? Like it all presents so differently. And those two, while they do have some similarities, very different. So Henry, where Clara would internalize most of her emotions, Henry would externalize most of his emotions. Um, And so that could be very, very challenging in the classroom. And there were times when I, being the emotional barometer for most rooms, would come into the IEP meeting and be the one pulling, like bringing in the calm. Like I would, I would literally, like I would prepare myself for that because the, te- you know, so that the teachers know I am not here to fight with you. Mm-hmm. I just want what's best for Henry. Yeah. And I know that that's what they want as well. Yep. And so there's, there is this sense. I know, I know this and I am, so I'm in a very emotionally sensitive person to feeling, feeling what's going on around me. Um, and when I, when I am sensitive to that and aware of that, I can use that as a, you know, again, as a calming tool. Um, but I'm also aware that most people don't have that awareness or that, that particular skill set, And so even like being in those environments over and over again, I can feel how adversarial it can, it can yes. potentially be. And so I want, I want you to speak to that because you come from a space you taught in California as well. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so West coast, there's a lot of, um, depending on what area you are teaching in, right. If, if you're in a more affluent area, there can be a lot of lawyers, um, yes. that get involved and yes. it can be very like quick. So I want you to talk about that collaboration process because being an advocate, the way that you do it is different from, I'm going to come in and take over the conversation. That's not what you're talking about. Right. So no. let's, let's talk about, let's talk about the what and the why with that. I want to, I want to hear from you. Sure. So do, I do really believe that the collaboration is the most important thing um, for a lot of reasons, but really because I think back to what you were saying, the teachers want to do the best they can for the child. They really, really do. And if we are having an adversarial IEP, people withhold information because they're not sure how it's going to be interpreted or are you going to twist this? Are you going to say that I didn't support the child because he eloped for a third time in one day? 
or I just, I have the data. I don't think that'll happen in one day. Nobody's concealing anything. The data is being presented. But if you're in such an adversarial space that you can't have vulnerable conversations, I think that it really reduces the opportunity for children. So I, I have been like going into the social media world, trying to just give little nuggets for parents. And one of the things that I said early on was there's a phrase and a um, somebody here in town said it recently to me and it reminded me of it and to start questions with I wonder right so like okay so so John fictional student John elopes about three times a day I wonder what is going on right before that happens I wonder what's happening that invites a conversation from the teacher versus like so you're doing something since John's th eloping three times a day so that needs to stop those are two totally different ways to talk about a challenge and children elope from the classroom. It happens, right? Or children have a hard time paying attention. Those things happen. And I think saying I wonder and allowing conversation to happen, it invites other professionals at the table also to say, oh, I noticed sometimes this happens. Is that maybe happening in the class as well? Versus, well, I never have that happen. So I don't know, because that person just doesn't want to be a part of the conversation that's getting hard. Um, so I think Allowing people to have honest discourse is really important and it's not going to happen if people are worried about what's going on back or that, you know, maybe something that was um, said is taken in the wrong way. And so I think clarifying in the moment is really important. And then I think open-ended questions are important. But I think, I think what I had a really hard time with in my last job, because everybody has jobs that they have challenges with, was we should presume the good. We should assume that everybody is doing the best that they can instead of coming in, like you said, like with their, you know, fists up, ready to fight because something didn't go the way we wanted. I think the other thing that's really important in this journey is when you have children, and I know we're really talking to parents right now, and they're babies, and you feel like, yes, I understood this. It's great. I've got it down. And then two weeks later, your child completely changes and you have to relearn everything again that still happens and it just happens differently when they get older. And so in the classroom, you can be doing something and following a chart and showing visuals and doing all the things that have worked for the last four months. And then all of a sudden there's a change because the child is growing or they're no longer eating as well as they used to, or sleep got a little funny after a vacation or whatever. Maybe a new medication is being tried. And even though everybody knew when there was communication, Woo, we're having a little period here. And so, but if your team is not cohesive enough to say, hey, let's do a quick meeting. It's probably only gonna be 30 minutes. Here's the data I want you to think about before you come in. Please let us know if there's been any changes. And then you as the parent can say, oh my gosh, I forgot to tell you we changed some medication. The doctor said it should take four to six weeks. Great, let's still sit down though and figure out what we do in that time period and see if we can get us back to a regular schedule. I think that's the piece that, if you come in with your with your fists up, like you said, that ongoing communication that happens out meetings doesn't happen. And so then again, we're not doing what's best for the child, which at the end of the day is what I think everybody who's involved in that child's journey wants. So when you when you are helping someone through this process, when you are, yeah. you know, being the sounding board. Mm -hmm how, how does that, how does that work? Like, give us a little bit of insight onto what that actually looks like. So someone's child is struggling. Let's say, yep. um, I'll, I'll, you know, literally use examples from, um, friends, uh, you know, my children's own friends, um, 
they, one parent was saying her, her child, I think he was in third grade at that time was just finding out that he was potentially on the spectrum and like trying to navigate what was coming next and noticing, noticing the struggle, but like, you know, it should have been fine. Everything was great. Like, you know, oh wait, no, he's, he is struggling. Oh, things are like harder for him in these different ways. What does that look like to you? And where does, you know, where, where's the trigger point for someone to say, Hey, a conversation with Valerie would be super helpful. Yeah. I think the minute, the minute it's outside of your wheelhouse. So I think at the beginning of this process and journey, if you're starting to be told things from your school that you're having to Google everything you're being told, I think you should reach out to somebody who knows what's going on, knows what the school is looking at and thinking about, and also can give you advice because that's the other thing is as a teacher, I couldn't say to a parent, you should get your child evaluated for X and Y, or you should follow up with your pediatrician because the second you say that as a teacher, you're advising them and then there's ramifications for that. Mm -hmm. And so I think letting them know what to do at the beginning is really important because like you said, it's overwhelming. There's so much coming at you and Google is not always correct. And so I think getting some help from somebody who can guide you through it. The other piece is talking to your friends who have been, been through this is helpful, but they've been through it with their child and their support system, which is not the same as your child and your support system. So I'm a single mom. When my children go through something, it is very different than when friends of mine are going through it and they have a partner to absorb some of the stress and overwhelm. And so I think reaching out at the beginning is really important to get a kind of the lay of the land of what to expect and what might be coming your way and what that could look like. And then I think, I think even at initial IEPs or initial meetings, it might be really helpful to have someone not even to speak up. I, to me, the best advocates I worked with were the quietest in the meeting and they were taking copious notes. They would speak up every once in a while when it was needed. Often I was very thankful when they spoke up because they brought up something I hoped we would circle back to, but they really served a purpose of preparing the parents, working with them through the emotions that may come up during that meeting so that when the parents are in the meeting, they can be as present as possible. Because as you said, it can be very emotional, not just for the parents, but also for the, the educational team and then supporting the parent after. Um, and I think just learning more about some of the laws around education in the United States, special education, there's a lot of laws. There's a lot of protections that children have that I think parents aren't always aware of. Um, so I think like one of my, one of the things I really, really appreciated was, you know, if we couldn't figure out what was going on and a child was out of school for a specific amount of time, we could offer tutoring. We could offer different services as a bridge until we figured out what was the right thing. And I absolutely did that, but I don't know that everybody in education does things like that. And so I think making sure that parents understand what their rights are and how to appropriately speak with the school about it is important. The other thing I would say too is there are times when I might want something for my child or you know, somebody might want something for their child and the school is not obligated to offer that. I think that's sometimes when the fists come up and people get really angry. And I think being able to explain to parents, well, they have to play by their rules as well. And unless we can show valid reason of why the student should receive that, they're within their rights as a school to say no. And I think that's something that I do feel some advocates that I've worked with 
weren't as honest with families about you, you just because you hire an advocate doesn't mean you're going to get everything from A to Z, but it should mean that you are able to receive support to know how to better advocate for your child and receive the appropriate accommodations, placement, evaluations, all of the things that fall under that for your child. So I think beginning is really important. I think when you hit that pinch point sometimes and it's really, really hard and you don't know where to turn, it's important then. And then I think there are some pretty major transitions that happen for children in school. I think that might be a really good time to reach out to an expert as well. So whether it's elementary to middle school, which I can tell you is one of the most difficult transitions. It's like that and kindergarten are just really hard for children. And I think if you have a child who receives services post high school, there's a group of children who receive services post high school. That's a really important time as well to make sure that you fully understand what your child is entitled to and how to navigate those next steps. Because again, we don't really see that in our community and we don't really know what that could look like. And so um, I think there's the things. And then, so I said transitions that also would include if your child is going from a public school to a more specialized school, I think that's really important time so that you fully understand is transport, who's doing transportation, who's taking care of what transportation looks like, because for some students, transportation is really hard. How are we going to navigate that piece? And so I think as a parent, you might just think, great, my child's going to a different school. Things are going to get better. It's going to be great. And you don't think about, but we have to address how transportation is going to be. Like we had students who had social emotional goals for being on the bus and that was very appropriate for them. But the, the parents didn't know to ask for that. We told them we're going to want to add some support for this. Um, so I think times when it's beyond your wheelhouse, I think is a really good time because then you also have someone who's just there for you and your child. They're not concerned about making sure the district is doing everything, minding their P's and Q's. It's really you and your child and making sure that you're getting the support that you need. Because at the end of the day, this isn't the only thing you do as a parent, right? You still have to make sure they go to bed and eat food and have fine time with their friends and that you have time with your child and that this doesn't negatively impact your relationship with your child because there's a lot of research about you know, when you try to teach your child versus parent your child. And so letting you stay in the role of parent and continue to enjoy your relationship with your child. So mm, I was going to ask about transitions. So you just like totally went right into that. And um, yeah, the other the other transition um, that we've seen. So my older two, Henry and Clara, they moved to a private school last year. So this will be their second year at this private school that is specifically for kids on the autism spectrum. And then our third, our, our youngest child is still in the public school um, that the other two went to before. And there are some kids that are transitioning back to public school. So even from the private school they're at now, you know, there are different things have shifted and changed in their situation that they are now transitioning back into the public school. Um, and so it, it's just, yeah, knowing um, any, again, any kids with autism who are, who are um, in the school system, for a lot of us parents, one of the things that's typical of um, kids with autism is the, the difficulty with transition in everything, right? So just like all through life, that has always been one of the challenges um, for both of my kids, having that nice nice calm schedule, you know, being organized, not necessarily in their rooms, um, but in their time, understanding what was coming next, like that was all really, really important to them. 
Um, so this shift right back into, into a new school or, you know, when this school is done, they only go to eighth grade, they have to transition somewhere else. Um, that's going to be a big shift as well. And it's like, yeah, going into a fully new space and, and coming out of that more, I want to say just, um, it's almost, it almost feels like a protected bubble where they're at now. And for the development that they're doing there, it's phenomenal and, and perfect. It's just what they need. And I also know that when they, you know, go to their next school, we're going to have to go through all the advocacy again. So we've got a couple of years, which is beautiful, but yeah, I really wanted to, you know, talk about that transition period. Um, and the other one, so this is the other one that's, that's kind of coming up for me too. It just in my awareness is that with, um, again, with Henry, when he was four, we had him evaluated for early intervention. We were in Arizona at the time we're in Ohio now. So we've kind of done the, the school stuff in Arizona and Ohio. Um, but yeah, the early intervention piece was really, really important. Do you help parents in that side of the spectrum too? I really, I am, we're talking about early intervention and I'm not kidding. I'm really getting goosebumps because it was absolutely hands down. One of my favorite things that I was able to support and observe. And it is phenomenal when done well, which I of course thought it was done very well where I came from. Um, I was, I was incredibly impressed at what the professionals that I worked with were able to do. It was also one of my favorite programs to observe and see what was going on in the growth of the children, because it, it could be exponential um, in those very structured early intervention programs. And so I think early intervention is critical. I think what parents can offer to children is, is amazing, but there's nothing that is the replicable at home as to being in a classroom of with a community. Children learn so much from each other, even if it's parallel play, even if they're just playing next to each other, they're learning and gaining skills. And in, in the, in the early program that I observed, a lot of the services, so speech therapy and occupational therapy were done in a group setting to help the students learn and flex how to work with peers, how to be in a group, how to be a part of a community, because that is a skill that really needs to be taught explicitly for a lot of students who have autism. I would also say for a lot of students, just not students with autism. And so, but it was really incredible to watch a speech therapist conduct a lesson for children in a group at versus, you know, two to three pull out and they're missing class time. Um, watching occupational therapy and understanding what it means for a child to do gross motor skills and how that will lead into fine motor skills and how that affects so many other things on their personal development and having so many experts a part of your child's journey on top of whatever you're doing privately as a parent, I think can't be overstated. And so I think early intervention is powerful. I will say the most challenge, and I, I did never teach preschool age. I taught junior high through um, alternative education. So students in high school who maybe became families, very young, parents young, or they just couldn't do a general high school anymore. Um, so I even had like a 20 year old, but I never had little ones. I never had three year olds and four year olds. And I will say that is, those meetings are very, very hard. And I think that's the first time a parent is being told what's really going on with their child. And I think as much as we say, like, this is who they are today. This is what we're seeing today. This is not saying this is what it's going to be forever. This is what it is today. And that's why we're doing early intervention and offering these services. It was really hard. 
we had a lot of crying. There were times that service providers cried as well. Like we're not immune to this. This is a lot for families and we're on this journey with you. We're walking right by your side. I think allowing parents to have time to absorb that, giving parents the space to say, I don't know yet what I want to do and not pushing and saying, you have to sign the IEP today. We have to get everything going right now. Letting them take a breath is really important. But also my favorite meetings were the transition from early intervention to kindergarten because those families were in such a different space. And I did it that I did see a few families from the beginning to the end. And they were in a different space. They were so happy with who their child was today, so happy with the growth that their child had made and understood this transition could be interesting and we don't know exactly what it's going to look like. And being able to do field trips to go and see what the, their new classroom is going to be like and meet their new teacher and see where their desk might be and what's in their new classroom is so important. And I think so I do all that is to say ignoring what's going on doesn't help anything. Trying to um, trying to avoid what you know as the parent is going on. It doesn't help. And there are professionals who will guide you through it. And I think the other piece I would say is. Having an advocate at that time is so important because you're going to miss a lot. You're going to miss a lot of what is said. And so that's why I even used to teach parents, even when I had students in middle school and high school, I would say, now this IEP is going to go with the other ones. Where do you keep all your IEPs? Because this was before everything was electronic. And they would say, well, I don't, I have them in a few places. And I would say, do you want me to make a full copy of the file? Like we need to have everything together. You need to be able to see this if for any reason you want to review or, or whatever. And so I think even for parents to understand, like you need to start an electronic file or a paper file. You need to be able to look back and reference if something weird starts happening in February, unexpected, was that happening before? And you just kind of forgot because you were really busy and it was the beginning of the school year, like just those types of things. But also as a parent and you're so busy and you're working a nine to five and you're again, you know, trying to make sure everything like the laundry gets done and the house is getting cleaned. And did you set up a play date? And there's this birthday coming up and you forgot to get the present. It's hard to and so I think, again, that's where an advocate can help. And you can say like, hey, there's this new behavior, Valerie, work and see. And then having an advocate have the space to look through and say, oh, this is because they have a diagnosis of X. This is an expected behavior with X. But I think you can ask for some services to start addressing that. Maybe ask for a meeting. I think that's where the advocate has the clarity because they're not, it's not their child. So there's different clarity. So we have been talking a lot. We've mentioned autism a ton on this uh, podcast because that's been my experience, right? Uh, yeah. But that is just one sliver of the population of, you know, all the children who need different services mm -hmm. at school. So um, I just w really wanted to bring that into that, you know, kids with any, yeah. any educational needs, it's mm -hmm. not just autism or anxiety or ADHD or, um, right. ODD or whatever the, you know, the presentation is, it, it can be so much broader than that. Um, well, and I think you don't have to have a child with an IEP to need an advocate. So you might have a child who has juvenile arthritis, which can be incredibly debilitating. And you have been asking for a 504 and while you have a 504, it's not sufficient and your child needs some more support. Um, and you're just not getting anywhere with your district, I think call an advocate. I think, you know, we can have children who, you know, puberty is a really weird time. Lots of things happen in brains and you, maybe you're seeing different doctors and different doctors are doing different things. And if there's not a cohesive communication plan with the school, it can be really hard to make sure your child's being 
And so I think an advocate can help kind of bring it all together and say, okay, it's time to have a meeting with the school, bring in the documentation that you feel comfortable sharing because once it's in the school file, it's there forever and making sure that you're comfortable sharing so that the school knows, oh, this is all going on with fictional student John. We should we should probably look at some supports we can give right now and see if that's sufficient or if we need to do more. Um, so I think that's really important. Uh, definitely there are students who have, um, in California, it was called other health impairments. So that might be more um, motor, like gross motor or um, needs or, or something else that's not qualified under the other qualifying conditions. Um, so there are other ways that students can receive help without one of the traditional diagnoses if they need it but help can look different. It doesn't always mean an IEP or a 504. It can mean that there's just like a support plan in place and that the teachers all have it and that it's being monitored by the school counselor. And if it's not sufficient, then there's another meeting to see what else needs to be done. But I think there's parents who could reach out and get help and you don't have to do it alone. There are people who can support you. So if someone is listening to this and they're like, well, I want Valerie to support yeah. me. <laughs> yes. How can people reach out to you just to learn more to see, do I need an advocate? Like just have that conversation to start to understand how can people get a hold of you? Yeah. So I have a website, pinchpointconsulting.com. You can email me at Valerie at pinchpointconsulting.com, but there's a way to just do a 15 minute session just to have a conversation and see if we're a good fit. And if I think I could help you, there are a few times when an advocate would not be the right person. If you're really in a very extreme place with your school district, there are times when you would need to reach out to an educational attorney. But for 98% of the cases, I feel like an advocate is exactly who you would need in your corner. Um, and so I'd be happy to help. I think the biggest thing I can bring to the table is knowledge of what the school district it needs to do and the responsibilities of the teachers and the administrators under IDEA, which is federal law around special education versus um, I, I don't have experience um, as a teacher or as a parent with a child with an IEP. I have experience working in the system, which I think cannot be, I can't say enough how important that knowledge is because there, there are just different rules at play um, for the school district that I think parents aren't aware of. And I don't think it should be a secret. I think you should know and work with somebody who knows how to help you navigate that. Mm. Well, thank you, Valerie, for this conversation. All of your, um, all the links and contact information will be in the show notes. Um, and if this has sparked any questions in you, if you have any, um, yeah, just any wonderings if like, oh, do I need that? quick conversation, super easy. It's not, um, it's not something you have to keep wondering about. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I am on Instagram on, of course, TikTok, and I chat with people there too. So feel free to just reach out. There's resources there that can help as well. It doesn't have to be scheduled. Um, but I think being able to have all the information you need with one person or in one place is really important. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for being here with me today. I so appreciate the work that you're doing and know how important it is personally. Um, and I think more people are going to benefit just from having heard this conversation. So thank you Great. again. Thank you so much, Hannah. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening and be sure to like and subscribe. And again, if anything resonated with you from this episode, I would love to hear from you. 
email me at hannah, H-A-N-N-A-H, at expansiveceo.com and tell me about it. And if you're ready for your greatest expansion, you can find ways to work with me at expansiveceo.com and at xsquaredwealthplanning.com. That's X, the numeral two, wealthplanning.com. So until next time, remember that there is enough, you are enough, and your birthright in this lifetime is to be expansive. <laughs>